Hello to all you ship talkers out there, and welcome to the latest episode of Ship Talking Pod. I'm Brandon, and I'm joined this week by our community manager, James. James, welcome back. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you, Brandon. How are you doing today? I am really good. Uh, this episode's going to come out just a few days before Star Trek Day, and I can't wait to see what's in store this year. <clears throat> Very sorry, everybody. Uh, Stupid George made the episode late. Uh, Back to the show. Yeah, although, you know, we need to have a word with Paramount for excluding the animated series (laughs) from the logos. (laughs) You know, I saw that as well. You said it, I didn't. Um, But uh, yeah, maybe they're they're saving it for some kind of big reveal. Although we did just have that Comic-Con panel. And of course, that was fully Mm. focused on the animation stuff. So, meh. Absolutely. So unless they're planning on rolling out short treks in the form of animated series series three i think they did two seasons didn't they so they did a few animated ones right remember um really really cool but yeah i guess we shall see and of course been really enjoying lower decks always love new star trek coming out some cool stuff there and of course with the episode the other week 800 official episodes of star trek out in fact that was the episode that well i didn't want to give away when we were recording this but (laughs) it was actually today's episode we'll always have tom paris that uh broke that barrier, broke the threshold. (laughs) I see what you did there. Speaking of thresholds, uh, we've got a great show ahead of everyone here. I think both of us, when we found out we were going to be able to talk to this legend today, we we both let out a a squeal. (laughs) Yeah, you couldn't see what my face just then, but it really is the picture of excitement right now. We are being joined this week by a legendary Emmy Award winning visual effects supervisor you know who it is it's the one and only he has a nebula class it's rob bonshun i am so excited to talk with him because he actually you know played a really important role in my upbringing with all the work that he did on voyager i used to sit down with my dad every week and watch it and i know you know a lot of his work came in towards when everything moved to cgi but cannot wait to speak with him and we're going to actually spend a lot of time talking with him more time than normal so we're actually going to turn his chat into a two-parter so this episode will have the first half of the chat and then episode 27 the next Next one will be part two, but I can guarantee you it's going to be full of ship talk that is going to be epic. Going to blow your mind. (laughs) Hope so anyways, but uh, sure, we'll find out in just a little bit. But before we can get to our chat with him, we got to move over to this week's Community Q segment. For this episode's Community Q, we asked you what your favorite Star Trek ship toy was growing up. Mine was a spoon. What was yours? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, before I could get my Playmates Voyager, I literally would fly around the house with the spoon because it kind of looked like it. But enough about me. This is about the community. The number one response were the Micro Machines set of Star Trek ships. Mm -hmm. With a special bit of love for the Excelsior. Yes, because wasn't that the bonus one that came with one of the packs? Like it only was available if you bought it in the pack. I'm pretty sure. I was growing up in the UK. We didn't <laughs> even get the micro machines. So oh, I'm not the James. person to ask, I'm afraid. I'm so I only sorry. Had my little uh, Revel mini scale Voyager model. That was uh, my Star Trek merch growing up. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the Excelsior was a special bonus that came in if you bought the pack of all the ships. But I love these ships myself because they were small enough that I could actually hang them from my ceiling and I actually 
created ship battles using colored yarn that would fly in between ships to designate like the phaser strips and and different beams going. So uh, I miss those. I think they're somewhere back in my family home back in California. I must have to dig them out. Definitely. Get those out. Let's get some pictures. Uh, I (laughs) volunteer to take the community role of putting them out there to the world. All right, I'll make it happen. Now, the second most submitted response was actually the Playmates brand of ships with special mentions, multiple, multiple mentions over Twitter and Instagram for the Enterprise D that converted. So I think that was the inner space line where it actually was, Mm -hmm. you know, the Galaxy class, and then you could open it up and pull it apart and it turned into the galaxy x super cool of course voyager with the battery powered pivoting nacelles i wore up my motor so fast from doing that and a lot of you mentioned the battle damage version of the enterprise d which i had myself it was the only enterprise d playmate ship i had Mm. but it was very interesting that that was called out more than some of the others yeah and i think that the battle damaged one i want to say that was a bit of generations merchandise yes that was a generations exclusive i think they actually put out two enterprise d ships for generations um the the d the non-battle damage version and the battle damage version there we go and the third most submitted response was actually the amt model kits and james this was really popular on twitter mm-hmm. and ties in very well with our recent roundtable discussion <laughs> as well it does it um, does uh, i know myself i had three different voyager revel model kits that wow. all made it to different stages of construction before being lost in house moves <laughs> or parents getting so annoyed annoyed with them laying half constructed on the dining room table (laughs) that they found their way into the bin uh, or anything like that. My in primary school, we had to pick an after school club. There was like chess club, woodworking, and one of them was model making. And I actually built my first Star Trek model, which was the Vorcha ship, the AMT model. So lots of great memories there. And of course, thanks everyone for submitting yours. And if you have any photos of your ships, send them, of course, on Twitter. James will give you a retweet. Absolutely. We love all of the photos. Any content really we love it all that's right but enough about models for the next community queue we want to know if you had to replace the inquiry class fleet of ships from season one of picard with any other ship class which one would it be so yeah this was of course in the finale of picard for season one where all those inquiry class ships showed up now little do you know that there's actually three different versions of the inquiry class ship there with all different variations but if you Mm. were thinking about what ship would replace that they all had to be the same or maybe there were slight variations which would it be let us know and you never know maybe one of the 3d artists out there will create a image of what that might have looked like i'm personally hoping for a uh, fleet of cheese hauling miranda classes <laughs> uh, if you haven't listened to our shuttle scuttle on the miranda class yet get on it post haste definitely and don't forget you can send us answers via email there's a submission form on our website or if you really want to make my day Twitter is always there. You can send out your amazing suggestions to us there. Definitely do. Well, James, I think we've kept both of ourselves waiting long enough. It's time to go over and meet Rob for part one of our chat with him. Shall we head over? We shall. Okay. Deep breaths. Remember, keep it cool. Keep it cool. When I first went out to LA, I just wanted to work miniatures. Like, I mean, I, I wanted to build models for film and TV or whatever. Mm-hmm. And my first job was working at, my first industry job was working at uh, 
at this place called Wonderworks and they did, you know, props, miniatures and things like that. So, yeah. and I really enjoyed it. But of the people that I met there, one of the guys that I met there, he knew Lightwave. He was like sort of on the cutting edge, I guess. Okay. And he had friends at Amblin Imaging and they offered him a job to work in the playback department, which is, you know, the, the computer screens. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. There was two people in that department. They only needed two people. And one of the other guys left. So he offered me the job, even though I'd hmm. never worked on a computer. I, I'm not a computer guy. I'm not a, I'm not a gamer. I'm not, I know how to program because of sure. my physics degree and stuff like that. And I, but I'm not a, it doesn't itch, for whatever reasons I'm just not a computer guy and I remember saying that to him I'm like I don't know if I want to do that it's like I'm like I like building models but I could see the writing on the wall too I mean mm. this is like the early 90s I'm, and I'm seeing the kind of jobs that are coming into the shop and it's turning more and more towards like just props and and kind of like theme park uh construction things and okay you can see it's moving away from miniatures mm -hmm. even though I worked on commercials there too but still it was still moving away from it yeah and I just said you know what I I'll take and I was like but I don't know how to use, I don't know how to use the toaster. I don't know how to use, you know, D paint, which is the right. program that was used. Yeah. And he's like, he goes, you can do it. You can do it. Just, just, you know, just you got two weeks to learn on, on his, his Amiga at home or whatever, you know, it's like two weeks. Place. You got two weeks to just learn the basics and it's really easy. You'll see. And then, and it's like, and anything that you can't animate, just dr draw some cool graphics or something, you know? And so we can show John, per <laughs> so we can show John Parento and, and John Gross, who were the, the heads of the, uh, Amblin Imaging at the time, right? And uh, lo and behold, it worked. But that's like right place, right time, nepotism. Mm. And there's no way around that. Yeah. I mean, there's just in any industry, there, there's no doubt. People say that that's a bad thing, and it can be a bad thing, especially if someone's not qualified. But on the other hand, sometimes that's the only way to have the opportunity to find out if you're qualified. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is because you know somebody, you know, or someone says, "Hey, I'm going to give you a chance," you know, because I know you and I trust you, or you're, you know, you're. I think he can do it or whatever. I mean, that's sometimes I wonder, is that a bad thing? I know in others, you know, in some business situation, it is a bad thing. And I realize that, but, mm. but it really comes down to, especially in Hollywood is really comes down to who, you know, a lot. Yeah. That's yeah. we've, we've heard that from some of the, your <laughs> colleagues who have been on the show. Um, and I've experienced that myself in, in, in life of being right place, right time to get that chance, right? Um, you got that yeah. email in at the right time. And, and but you know what? It's led to amazing. And and now from someone who was, you know, you weren't good with computers, just like looking at your art station, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I want to just like live inside your computer while these are being made. Um, oh, come on. Amblin Imaging, I want to say that they're the company that broke through the CG wall for Star Trek. If I recall, weren't they the ones that did the Voyager title sequence and also no. did the photographing of the physical model to turn it into yes. CG? No and yes. Got one right. <laughs> my understanding the title sequence i think they're, they're the ones that created the 3d model of the voyager mm -hmm. like in other words had it you know photographed and textured because actually it's kind of funny inside of uh, it's not there now because i took it out a long time ago and so i know <laughs> i'm gonna forget one name but back in the day like if you're at foundation or even at amblin if when i load up the voyager model it's kind of funny the the three guys at amblin that were responsible for it for its mm -hmm. creation be it the modeling the texturing you know whatever it took yeah they had their names like in like in polygons in the phantom <laughs> but, in, but inside like but inside so you couldn't you know but yeah. you can't see it yeah but if you're looking 
looking at it in the in the wireframe or you right. know in like your you know your viewport windows you know you can you know it's like john gross uh, i know john gross i'm not sure if john parento's name was there and then it's, there was that other guy the other guy was the guy that did i always forget his name he's a good guy uh, but he's the one that did you remember you ever hear of this video that was done called the 405 where this airplane like he, he became really famous after it he landed on the, the the free the la freeway yeah, the 405 like, like it was yeah. like a little comedy I do remember that one, yeah. he got and I just, I'm blanking out on his name and possibly, yeah, I just can't remember. I just, I know John Gross was one of them, but, and after a while I just kind of pulled, you know, pulled it out. I mean, <laughs> You're like, when, I, when, to I go. Re, when I revamped it, I was just kind of like, well, I, you know, it doesn't need to be there anymore. You know, it was long gone. Yeah. I don't think right. those guys cared very much anymore. They knew they did it mm-hmm. and we all knew they did it. So, yeah, that's, oh yeah. yeah. So they, so I think my understanding is, so they were, they did all that. But I think the animation sequences, well, at least the major ones in the title sequence were done by, at the time, Santa Barbara Studios. Yes, that was it. That rings a yeah. bell now. They don't, they're long gone now, but but they're the ones that did, yeah, that did like, you know, especially like the volumetric stuff and the flying over the rings and the little reflections. Because at the time, uh, since Amblin was using Mutex Lightwave, Lightwave was very powerful for the amount of money. I mean, really powerful for right. like no, like for the amount of money, it was incredible. Mm. But there's just some things that didn't do at that time and volumetrics was one of them okay and that opening title has a lot of like you know like volumetric lights i mean now it's like it's easy to do like that's Mm. like nothing you know but back then it was a big deal i mean i'd say it still is a big deal yeah it's a beautiful opening sequence really it's one of the most beautiful ones the music is really nice i mean it's just epic iconic it really is aside from the original series i'd say it's like the ultimate star trek title sequence you know it has it really encompasses like the spirit of the franchise it's just Mm -hmm. like hey look at all this crazy space phenomena and we're just gonna go go through it because we're starfleet no i know and it's and i think the not just the visuals but the way the music progresses as the scene progresses is very like awe-inspiring you know Mm -hmm. you're like oh you know it's like it just has that which none of the other titles, all the, you know, the other titles, people might like other ones and they're all good in their own way, I guess. But that one is really the, the one that feels the most exploratory, the most unknown. We're going into the unknown. That's the feel yeah. of it. I go back and watch Voyager very often. And it's the one Star Trek series on Netflix where I refuse to hit the skip intro button just because there is something. It's probably also because it linked it back to my childhood and sitting down and watching it and just knowing that this was the start of some adventure that we've been waiting you know seven days for when when the series (laughs) is going and we got 26 of them (laughs) during the year where right now we're getting what 10 to 12 but um it just like i just lived for that moment and the the part where i'd get the shivers the most was when it goes the camera goes through the rings and you just hear kind of that ice like imagine ice it just oh i I just think about it and i get the little shivers but um yeah absolutely epic i i still just love the opening shot the flying through the um jettisoned coronal injection yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. just the ship flying through that you know always always gives me a bit of a chill when the uh, theme kicks in and you just see voyager flying close to the sun literally mm-hmm. you know tom paris <laughs> planned that out like to a t he's like you know got the shot set up <laughs> fly by. Oh, right. i mean now you can do that you can yeah. do better than that on your home computer i mean for two hours on a sunday yeah there's some amazing 4k animations of it that some of the community has put together it's just 
beautiful. Yeah, yeah. sometimes I see on YouTube, every once in a while they throw me, you know, YouTube throws you things yep. that they think you might like you yeah. know, with their NSA algorithms. Right. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, they probably know more about me than I know about me at this point. Um, and every once in a while I get thrown like, you know, fan stuff. But I have to say, it's rarely, really, I'm, I'm rarely very, imp- I know it's going to sound horrible. I'm rarely very impressed. I'm not saying my stuff doesn't stink too sometimes, but sometimes I'm like, it looks promising. And then I'm like, oh, you know, mm. it's like, really, you went that far. You just have to go a little further. It was going to be great. And then there's other stuff that I've seen where I'm like, holy shit, you're hired. Yeah. You know, like yeah. right now. Yeah. Like if you're not doing this professionally, you need to make a change of career. You yeah. know, it's like there's some <laughs> stuff that's just really good. Yeah. I mean, I think that from a, a fan perspective, what I think a lot of people fall into the trap of is going, oh, you know, I can add a bit more shine and polish to this thing and I can make it, you know, look even better than it did back then. But when you're trying to recreate, for example, a title, <laughs> sequence mm-hmm. right when i want to watch a 4k version of the voyager title sequence i don't want to have a ton of lens flares over everything no. or a ton of extra no. particles or anything like that i want it as it was back in 1995 <laughs> but sharper that's all i want no that's a good point i mean i guess in, in a roundabout way that's what i was trying that's the i guess if i had a criticism that would be it yeah. it's not so much that the animation itself that i've seen have been horrible it's just that like you said uh, why redo it right it, mm. It, it almost doesn't need it. Like, I don't need it 4K. You know, like you said, it just, yeah. you know, I mean, hey, people, you know, as long as they're having fun doing it, that's all that counts, really. You know, it's, yeah. you know, it's YouTube. Yeah. It's, you do whatever you want. Or if they get contract to do it, right? Like, uh, for instance, <laughs> you working on TMP's Director Cut Remaster, right? So... That was the... I have to say that sometimes I just... I could never have imagined in 1979 mm. standing in that line up to go see the motion picture that I would work on because there was no way I could have envisioned that. Yeah. There was no way I could have, at that point, I did not envision DVDs and Blu-rays and, you know, and, and digital, you know, I mean, this was 1979 or mm-hmm. whatever. Sometimes I think about that and I'm like, holy cow. And, I'm, and I didn't even do it on purpose. I never... When I went to LA, I wanted to do models and miniatures. And yeah, on the side, I'm a sci-fi fan. And within that, I'm a Star Trek fan. Mm-hmm. Mm. But not once did I ever think, or did I say to myself, oh, I'd like, to, I'm going to try to work on Star Trek. Never happened. Mm. Everything is happens. Like everything was just happenstance. Mm. I go to one, you know, in the first job at Wonderworks, I didn't know what they were going to be working on. They worked on Apollo 13, a lot of other things. Oh, but they got the contract to do the miniatures for Voyager, for the Kazon ships. Mm-hmm. Not not the, the hero ships, but the Kazon right. ships. So, because the guys at the shop, the, the, the foreman knew I was like a big Star Trek fan. He says, well, why don't you take the ships to Image G, you know? Mm. So I went to Image G and I met Dan Curry. And then, you know, okay, great. You know, a little connection there to Star Trek. I'm like, wow, I got to deliver, you know, these Kazon ships and I got to weather them with Dan Curry. And it was, <laughs> I just, it was very quiet, but I was like, holy shit, I can't believe I'm here. And I thought that, that, you know, that's as good as it gets, you know, probably in terms of jobs and stuff like that. And then, you know, and then again, going to Amblin, I'm going to be working on Sequest. Oh, but we do Star Trek Voyager too, <laughs> you know, in the background. And then, and then, and again, after Amblin, since there wasn't a lot of places that there was only foundation imaging and maybe two other places that would use like light wave, mm-hmm. which because of Amblin, I was trained in. So luckily I got, you know, luckily Ron Thornton hired me, you know, to, to work there. And lo and behold, he's good friends with one of the CG supervisors on Star Trek. <laughs> so that supervisor is bringing the work to foundation because it had already yeah. started in lightweight at Amblin Imaging. So they're going to continue with that. And that right. was one of the best facilities to have the 
most you know the most expert users of of that software mm. so you know again it's just but i didn't applied to foundation because you know oh they're going to be working on star trek you know i applied because i would just wanted a job you know it's like i of course probably working on some cool actually i was more excited about babylon 5 to be honest <laughs> that's all right <laughs> i was a much bigger fan of b5 at the time than anything else yeah it's it's always been very interesting to me because people compare deep space 9 and babylon 5 quite a bit because obviously similar premise when you break it right down and it's the way that babylon 5 seasons one to three are the best deep space 9 seasons one to three are widely regarded as the worst. You're right. It's true. Man, think about that. That's right. And I guess I, I guess because it had been established, it was just a different philosophy, I guess. Like in the next generation, and uh, which stems from the original series, although it didn't seem so obvious in the original in the 60s series, but because it, you know, they wanted to keep it to a weekly, you know, like story ends at the end of the week. They didn't want to do like you know, because that's the way the format was before. They didn't have stories in the, you know, in the 60s that mm. that spanned like, you know, a whole season or anything like that. Yeah. So I understand that their format was going to be, you know, they're trying to stick to that Star Trek format, whereas B5 was, you know, Straczynski was the, the creator of the show, was the writer of the show. He was free to do whatever he wanted because there was no established format for that show. He, he established the format for that show. Yeah. So he could say, you know what, I can do, I, you know, I'm going to do a serialized show where, you know, stories are going to arc over possibly multiple seasons. Mm, yeah. But I don't think you could have done that with Star Trek at the time. I, I, yeah, I, I think mean, that would have been difficult to sell. Mm. Deep Space Nine was regarded as, uh, to use a, to borrow a term, the redheaded stepchild <laughs> of the Star Trek franchise for quite a while because it yeah. took the risks with those serialized things. But that's it, it did eventually, but not at the beginning. Yeah. Right. Yeah, not, not, yeah, not from the get-go. Yes, yeah. it did. After, after a while, it really did that. And then especially, like you said, the last, uh, like, especially the last two seasons, but, you know, last batch majority, essentially when Rick Berman and Brandon Braga focused on Voyager, and then it got put. <laughs> uh, but that's made it age so much better. And, you know, it's seeing so much love in the past decade. We've had the What We Left Behind documentary as well. Um, yeah. And now we've got the Voyager documentary on the way as well. And they've spoken about doing, you know, HD footage and remasters and stuff like that. You know? Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know what they're gonna do with that. Yeah, well, what's your what's your perspective on that? I'm talking to the to the people that certainly would are involved with that, but I don't get. I it's not gonna happen tomorrow. That's for sure. Right. Mm. Like I'm not saying I, I can't. I can't speak for the documentary itself, but I can speak to that HD, you know, like a complete HD remastering of you know of all seven seasons of Voyager is not happening tomorrow. Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not gonna be in. It's not gonna be in the next year. You know. That's yeah. Because like like as you guys pointed out earlier, you know, Voyager was the transition show from practicals to CG, mm. and so you know it slowly started as one, and then slowly started right. to shift as another, you know, and then turned to full CG at the end. Mm -hmm. And that just brings up its own complications. Like the CG part being the worst, unfortunately, the more complicated because. Because everything that was shot on film, like the next generation, they can pull, you know, the stock has been stored, they can pull it out, recomposite it, you know, it's all on film. So, mm. you, you know, you can work with that, you know, it's it's easier. I'm not saying it's not, I'm sure it's not, it's not a snap, but right. at least you have all <laughs> the original material in one type of format. But Voyager, you know, there's scene files that are just not ever going to be found. You know what I mean? Mm, like, you know, yeah. and even if you have the scene file, the assets, we weren't very good at, you know, there was stuff all over different drives at Foundation. I mean, and I and a lot of the guys <laughs> tried to save and, and consolidate it, even I did to some extent. And there is pretty decent consolidation of a lot of it. 
but mm. not all of it. You know, mm. we're, you know, if we're, if, you're re, if you're redoing the show, you have to do all of it. You know, it's yeah. not not just some of it. Yeah, yeah it's got to so be the whole thing. So there are things yeah. that would have to be completely redone from scratch. There's just no way. It, the assets don't exist. Some ships don't. Textures don't exist for some ships. I mean, they're just gone. And there's also the aspect with Deep Space Nine and Voyager as well of the differences between the physical and CG models that were somewhat hidden by the yeah. standard definition, you know. With... Motion blur, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like with Voyager, the structural integrity strip things on the back of the saucer and the phaser yeah. strips on the yeah, top. Yeah, the phasers aren't, you know, the, you know, I didn't yeah. realize that for a while, but the one day I was for uh, Star Trek the Magazine, mm -hmm. at the time I was kind of like the, the guy that ended up being the, the go-to I would do all of like the orthographics and you know anything that Ben Robinson needed. You guys know Ben, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we do yeah, a, we figured, do a collaboration I, I podcast I with him. Did not even need an introduction <laughs> on that one. So anything that Ben, you know, that's how I got to know him because yeah. because I was the only one that really get, you know everyone else. We weren't a huge team anyway. So it was me, it was Mojo, you know, and a few other people. But I'm like I was the ship geek. You know, I'm the mm -hmm. one that knows. You know, like. I'm the one that had the Starfleet technical manual in 1977, right. you know, just in awe of the whole thing, you know, like, I mean, I like, I like the technology, I'm a, mm. hence why I went into physics and, you know, I like science. So I would do, uh, so I volunteered myself to do those things when uh, Fact Files slash the magazine in, the, in North America, Fact Files in Europe wanted, you know, oh, we need orthos of the Voyager, we need orthos of this ship or that ship, and I would mm -hmm. do them, and that's what made me discover, like, hey, the Voyager's not right. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I mean, they did a pretty good job. You can't notice it for most, you know, like, as it's flying around, it's hard to see, you know, but when you see it, mm. like, you know, orthographically, you're like, ooh, no. Yeah, there's there's one shot in Collective, which is just the close-up of, like, the nacelle and the back yes. of the saucer, which is always uh, yep. stood out to me. Oh, what was, uh, uh, what's wrong with the nacelle? Nothing with the cell. It's the back of the saucer. It's oh, the, the back of the saucer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, if I bring up my little model and try and make it visible, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> James is showing his model ship. Which, which is that? The Eagle Moss, or is that a plane? Is that the Playmate? That's Eagle. This is the Eagle Moss one. Yeah, that's what I thought. I it's it extra large thing. Eagle Moss, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. And then you have the Playmates with yeah. the batteries yeah, and everything like that. My motor ran out on my Playmates one because I made the nacelles Aww. go up and down too much. But <laughs> uh, you met, you mentioned about Star Trek the Magazine. Okay, so when I when that episode came out, I was in my preteens, I think. Um, there was Message in a Bottle, and oh, there was a there was a Star episode. Trek Magazine episode about the Prometheus and like other young i would say probably young boys my age would want you know um filthy magazines my filthy magazine <laughs> was the issue of the prometheus that uh that was i you know i read it so many times i bought multiple copies so that i can cut out the photos and put them on my walls i, I used to do it yeah i was <laughs> obsessed. Uh, but i used to do that with, with starlog magazine in the 70s you know i'm older than you obviously so <laughs> but it's funny that's Kind of like the same thing like i used to like you know i'd cut pictures out of it and put them up on my wall near my bed and well, that was it i i made space battle scenes on my wall and i'd use oh, colored cool. yarn to connect like be phaser strips <laughs> to actually have it and then i that's, got into like the school cool. i couldn't hang my playmate ships but i had the micro machine ships and i literally oh, yeah. spent time with my dad creating i wish i had a photo of it it's somewhere of a space battle scene and we'd used colored yarn as phaser strips and i'd use little pieces of um that's a genius. Do, do you remember the old old um 
pipe cleaners. That. That's the colored pipe cleaners. I'd cut those into yeah, little yeah, pieces yeah, yeah, and yeah, hang yeah. those. And those would be nice like the Romulan yeah. destructor bolts coming out or like the out of the Klingon bird of prey. It was amazing. I was so proud of it. But, you know, digital cameras didn't exist really then. So I don't I don't know if there's a photo somewhere of it. But but I just have to say and I what, know you're saying I, you're not creative. What? <laughs> Well, but those are all made. I cannot just recreate it now. Brilliant! That is a brilliant, like hands-on, like you know, non-digital solution to putting something up that's 3D, not just an image, and it's cool, like battle sequences with the the ships. And I'm like, shit, that's brilliant. Well, personally, I think that's brilliant. For insight for listeners, before we started recording, we were talking about left brain versus right brain, and I was saying I'm more left brain, and like, oh, I need to get creative. So that's where Rob's comment is coming about me being. Maybe I am a bit creative, but no, but like, uh, so for a cool things, some cool things about that episode. First off, it wouldn't have existed without, of course, CGI, right? Because we've got the Prometheus. It's got its separation. We've had Rick on and we've talked about his original design having, you know, five pieces separating. I know people make fun of me and they're like, there's so many better ships, but just something about the chip. When I saw it uh, with the age I was and just could see what it could do. I was just, I absolutely, I was obsessed and. And, you know, Star Trek Online, I still fly the ship. It's my main ship. And I know it's not the most powerful, but it's my ship. I love it. <laughs> it's it's something wow, important to me. Um, but I also know that episode is important to you, right? Because, you know, that, that nebula what? that makes it disappear. What was it oh, called again? Right. Um, yeah. What was it my called? Oh, model. yeah. Named after your last name. <laughs> the Bonchoon. Like, that, that must have felt amazing to get you know, that in there, especially for such a cool episode. And I got to say, Andy Dick will go down as the second best EMH that'll ever exist. I thought he was the best thing in that episode, personally. <laughs> I thought him and uh, and Robert Picardo were hilarious. I mean, I was... Romulans! You know, <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, think about it. You know, advanced AIs and they're this ridiculous. Totally. It was all, you know, it really, I mean, I know it was a serious episode, but it was kind of, you know, it also had good comedy in it too, you know. But Yeah. No, that was, yeah, you're right. That was, that was the first time where I was, I got to build something for the show. And I've been waiting, like I wanted to, Seemed like everyone else had done a model or done a ship or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. and I was usually more the uh, anomaly guy. It's like, especially because, you know, once the like Mitch Susskind, like once the people at Paramount and the guy that I reported to, to at Paramount, you know, mm-hmm. um, once he, you know, once they knew I had a physics background and I had a science background, it was like, oh, well, you should do all the anomalies, anomaly mm-hmm. of the week. So I was mm-hmm. the anomaly of the week guy. Right. Okay. Yeah. Come up with the anomaly. It's like, we don't know what it is, but make it look good. You yeah. know, <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> so I got kind of relegated to that. But I was like, yeah, but I'm a ship guy. Yeah. Please let me build lunch. I just want to add something. Cause I didn't know how long, I mean, I, that job could end the week after that show. Right. You know what I mean? Who knows? how long I, I mean there's no way i could have predicted i would have been you know part of part of the other series as well i mean you just never know yeah yeah so mm. i was just so itching to just be able to do one ship you know yeah. like a ship that's in the show yeah. you know put my mark on it or whatever however i did not expect putting my mark on it to be that people would to this day i don't understand where anybody saw my name mm. <laughs> you know a few years later you know as the internet started to become more popular another one of the guys on the team came in and said hey rob do you know that uh you're listed on like it was at the it was like maybe early memory alpha or something like, right, like okay. a fan site mm. and they actually listed an emulator class ship with my, my name on it. i was like what the 
how would they know that? Like, I mean, wh- why would they know that? Because I mean, it's NTSC. Mm-hmm. You show me in that show where my name shows up. I mean, I don't know how they pulled that off. I don't know how they, Right. I'd have to watch the show again, but my, my memory is you see a number on the side, but that number doesn't have a name attached to it. Interesting. And considering the, you know, if you're t- especially back then there was no TiVo. I mean, right, so yeah. if you take the show, it was going to be VHS, which means even lower resolution than NTSC. Mm. And I'm like, yeah. so, I left the name there as like, I mean, I was going to change it, but it was like, well, nobody can see, nobody caught it. I mean, trust me, if Rick Berman would have seen that, he would have taken it oh, off. All right. Okay. Yeah. But I, I just joked around and left it on there and I had, a, we, we had another name for it. And, and I, I just remember when just going, we're not, no one's ever going to see that anyway. At, at most, you can just see the number on the, you know, the engine support strut, yeah. you know, and that's it. And the number is not going to tell you anything. So to this day, I'm like, I don't know how, I don't know how someone enhance that to be able to actually see my name on it i'm like well you put a ship in front of a fan and there's a registry and no name they're gonna find some way to figure out what that was and figure out its whole history because that's what us ship nerds do maybe they (laughs) hacked into foundation oh maybe there's a scene i don't remember i mean it's been a long time now so Mm. but maybe there's a scene i don't remember where the name is closer to camera or something obviously i you know what I'm saying all this because I feel guilty. I don't, it feels, it, ah, it, no, because it was like I, kind of a joke and it's like all of a sudden it's like it, it turned into something and I just, every time I kind of cringe when I hear about it because it's just like, God, that just sounds so like, all right, I put my name on a ship, you know, it's like, and then Ben, do you know that, that <laughs> extra large? Yeah, uh, the bomb shoot. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Really, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know about that. <laughs> You know, I found out about it because someone, some somebody wrote to me about it, said, hey, uh, hey, it looks like you got your name on a ship for on Eagle Moss. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I was not like, be- no one told me in advance. Uh, it, ha- it had to be the Bonshoon. It, it just had to no. be. But you know what? I, I was I shocked. Think I actually wrote been... to Ben. I go, why did you do that? Like, why? Nah. Like, I... it's not an, ofi- it's not really an official ship. Like, like, I felt bad because I saw like on Facebook and other mm. social media, a lot of people were upset about that because they're like, why isn't it the Farragut? It should have been the Farragut. And I'm, you know what? As a fan, I agree. It should have been the Farragut because well. that showed up. I mean, that was prominent <laughs> on screen, you know, as a, as a major, as a capital ship in, in, in the Star Trek series. My, you know, that Bonchoon or whatever Nebula class was destroyed within like, you know, seconds of the opening of that show. Like, why would, you know, I kind of felt, I felt bad. I felt bad. And the thing is, I'm sure they're thinking, oh, he's stroking his own ego. He got a shit made. And I'm like, had nothing to do with it. Here, nothing. I, I'm sorry to say, but if you have the opportunity to make a ship and even for a joke, put your name on it and you didn't expect him to see it, that's fine. Like, but it became canon. And you know what? Yeah. That's the story. That's how it came to be. Now, now we're going to we, we got to live with it. But you know what? I, I'm sure, you know, knowing your history of you and Ben working together, he probably just he probably had the best of intentions with doing. Oh, that. no, no. Oh, I'm sure he did. I'd say as well, you know, from a fan perspective, the Bonshun is a unique class, a unique name for the Nebula class, whereas mm-hmm. the Farragut, there was an Excelsior class Farragut in TNG, yes, yes, yes. as well as the oh, Nebula class. Yeah. So that's true. maybe that's the reason he chose it. That's- I mean, it, like we worked together a long time and, and he, def- you know, it's funny. He was just like, well, why not? Mm. Like I remember his email <laughs> back to me. He's like, well, why not? Uh, you know, it's a cannon ship and, you know, it's- I was like, okay, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. Okay, yeah. But I was just surprised. And and 
flattered a bit obviously he made that choice right he, yeah. he had the mm. choice to not do that or to do that so i was, I was a bit touched actually in terms uh -huh. of personally between me and him i was touched that he did that that he chose that well, but i did understand the fans wanting it to be the yeah. farragut though you're gonna get you're gonna get fans that always want something different than what's happening so i i personally True. can't wait to get my extra large bonshoon that's going to be big enough to get your autograph on it next time i run into you at the cons but um or just send it to me and i'll sign it i'll send it back yeah <laughs> <laughs> For this episode's drill, community members were asked to send in the ships they'd like to be placed into the proverbial space dock, and they could be any ship from any era and belong to any species as well. We're now going to draw two at random and have them go head to head. <laughs> well, as usual, I've got all of your submissions loaded up in this online random selector. So let me go ahead and make sure to tweak the UPS <laughs> conduits. Ah, for the no cheating, no cheating. Uh, okay, I'm going <laughs> to select the first one and it is uh, the Warship Voyager. Woo! Everyone loves a bit of Voyager. This is really cool because this is kind of that alternate era, at least. It's, mm. it's got a unique twist. Okay. But, you know, as far as that species remembered, it was pretty powerful. So it depends on what it's going to go up against. So the second ship, which it will be going up against head to head is... Drumroll. The Akira. Oh. Uh -huh. Okay. Actually, this is quite cool okay. putting those two side by side because while the Akira was quite small... Uh, you know, it, was, uh, it is smaller than Voyager overall, but it is quite powerful with the armaments it does have, right? I thought the Akira was slightly bigger. Was it? Uh, well, you know best. You know the Voyager scale. Pull out your book, James. I'm booking it up right now. So the Akira... <laughs> is 464 meters All right. compared to the Intrepid, which is 343 meters. Okay, so, for some reason I thought the Akira was smaller, but you know what? Don't judge a book, don't judge the size of a book by its picture Don't judge cover. a ship by its nacelles. <laughs> there you go, that is exactly it. Um, okay, James, your thoughts first. Thinking about the armaments of both Warship Voyager and Akira, what, what, what would you say? I mean, my gut feeling is to hand it over straight to Warship Voyager mm. for the giant cannon. Now, wait a second. Are you has. putting your love for Voyager aside and being non-biased here? This this is why I said my gut instinct is okay. to do this. Okay, all right. Whereas in reality, I know that the Akira is a bit of a torpedo boat. Yep. It has so many torpedo launchers so i think it'd actually be a fairly even fight with the akira keeping some distance lobbing those torpedoes out and the warship voyager constantly trying to engage get a bit closer use the big old cannon yeah the cannon though do you think the akira might be more nimble and also don't forget the akira was a flight wing carrier so it could launch smaller ships that mm. could take voyager on from multiple sides and maybe disable some of those cannons i think that the smaller ships would be a bad choice against warship Ship Voyager, mm. that ship has phaser arrays. That's true. Pretty much on every available surface. So they'd get picked off fairly easily if they had a good tactical officer. Okay. Yeah, that's true. The torpedoes, though, that is, uh, it depends. It'd have to, maybe the little ships could take down the warship's shields and then Akira mm. would have a better chance using torpedoes. But yeah, this is an interesting one. I, I haven't really thought about it. We never really got to see much of Warship Voyager in action, right? No, no, only the uh, one episode, Living Witness, and yeah. even then it was very brief segments of uh, corrupted history, <laughs> so 
very difficult to tell one way or the other. It's one of my favorite episodes because I think it was the closest we got to a mirror universe Voyager, mm. right? So, and it was a good way to explain it. But uh, of course, you might all have opinions yourself. You're probably thinking of things that we might have forgot. Definitely let us know uh, what your thoughts are and what you think might win. And if any 3D artists out there are interested, uh, you know, putting those two ships together in some kind of battle scene could be really cool. Um, if, you, if, you do, if you do that and you send it our way, I might have some pod swag for you. We have lots of exciting pod swag. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> but if you do want to participate in these weekly drills beyond getting our calls at the end of the podcast, calling out for CG artists, <laughs> uh, if you want to enter your submissions, they get posted on Twitter towards the end of each week. So keep an eye out there. Set your notifications on for Ship Talking Pod and you can be sure to get in there quick with your answers for the next head to head yes exactly well if you can believe it or not it always goes so fast we're at the end of this episode and i just have to say i'm still buzzing from that chat with rob like wow what oh. a, what a guy first of all but just like what he's brought to the franchise and now what he continues to do with his art on art station it just uh, i just I'm, I'm still pinching myself you're pinching myself i'm punching myself in the arm every other minute just to remind myself that this is real. I've just been speaking to the guy that worked on Star Trek Voyager and created yeah. so many of the scenes that I love. So yeah, yeah really, really pinching and punching. Yeah, well, it was amazing. And don't forget, we've got the next episode with part two. So lots more Rob to come. And of course, don't forget, hailing frequencies are always open. You can head to shiptalkingpod.com to transmit a message via the submission form. And while you're there, click on our merch and check out some of that swag that we have available. Lots of cool stuff available. And do also remember that we're on Patreon. The support that comes from our patrons is really, really appreciated. And we feel like we give you plenty of benefits in return for that. But just to remind you, every penny that goes into Patreon goes to creating and supporting this podcast. We don't take a cut. That is true. Actually, we just dropped 600 bars of gold pressed latinum or whatever the equivalent is in these amazing new pins that we're going to be giving out to patrons. So if you sign up, you can learn more about it, but uh, check out those. They're really, really cool. And James did an amazing job working on the logistics of that. And uh, you can also send us an email the old fashioned way. Get in touch with us. Hello at ship talking pod.com is the address we reply to all our emails or you can go bug james or send him your pretty ship art on our twitter which is at ship talking pod never bugging me i'll just <laughs> say that never bugging me jem hadar bugging you oh i see what you did there <laughs> the best way to support us though is to tell your ship enthusiast friends about the show and please do consider leaving us a review on any podcast platform when you listen to the show as well we really do appreciate them and we look at all that feedback and we use it to make it better or keep doing the things that you say are good and of course we can't end without some thanks to the other members of the pod crew that's alex and robbie our co-hosts and george our audio engineer special thanks for all the sound magic you do behind the scenes to make us sound so so good each episode absolutely george is always working that wonderful magic but thank you as well to our listeners the community and once again all of our supporters on patreon we appreciate it and you make it all worthwhile we really do this all for you it is a sincere pleasure so until our next main pod episode enjoy our other content like shuttle scuttle and the hero collector collab podcast and we will see you very very soon until then live long and prosper and make it slippy
So, what do you call the emissary of the prophets when he's getting a little bit funky on the dance floor? Benjamin Disco. <laughs> <laughs>